the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I'll trust you enjoy. Tucker Carlson uh, made this rather stunning announcement on his show. But it's not just political protesters the government is spying on. Yesterday, we heard from a whistleblower within the U.S. government who reached out to warn us that the NSA, the National Security Agency, is monitoring our electronic communications and is planning to leak them in an attempt to take this show off the air. Now, that's a shocking claim, and ordinarily we'd be skeptical of it. It's illegal for the NSA to spy on American citizens. It's a crime. It's not a third-world country. Things like that should not happen in America. But unfortunately, they do happen, and in this case, they did happen. The whistleblower, who is in a position to know, repeated back to us information about a story that we are working on that could have only come directly from my texts and emails. There's no other possible source for that information, period. The NSA captured that information without our knowledge and did it for political reasons. The Biden administration is spying on us. We have confirmed that. This morning, we filed a FOIA request, a Freedom of Information Act request, asking for all information that the NSA and other agencies have gathered about this show. We did it mostly as a formality. We've also contacted the press office at both NSA and the FBI. We don't expect to hear much back. That's the way that usually goes. Only Congress can force transparency on the intelligence agencies, and they should do that immediately. Spying on opposition journalists is incompatible with democracy. If they are doing it to us, and again, they are definitely doing it to us, they are almost certainly doing it to others. This is scary, and we need to stop it right away. Well, if uh, James Clapper can get away with lying and Eric Holder can get away with prying, then why should the NSA stop domestic spying? Well, you rhymed there. I did. Reverend Jackson. I'm a poet and I didn't know it, but your feet show it because they're long fellows. Oh, very good. Very good. Thank you. Yeah. I'm glad you could take this down to a fifth grade level. Well, it's the only joke I know. It's, it's a good, <laughs> At least it was a good one. It's a good one. A, compared to your golf jokes. Uh, my golf jokes are good, but now uh-huh. you're off topic. I mean, it's nothing. It's not a big deal. We just had the NSA trying to take Tucker Carlson off the air. <laughs> but anyway, let's. How about a golf no. joke? Hey, oh, no, uh, no, let's stay let's, focused. Do you want to stay on topic, or do you want to? Yeah, okay. Uh, for a more discussion on this topic and uh, a few others, I think, Michael Knowles is the host of the Michael Knowles Show at the Daily Wire. He's also the author of the recently released book, Speechless, Controlling Words, Controlling Minds. Michael, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Great to be with you. Um, how, how, what's your reaction to uh, that uh, Tucker Carlson news there? I wish I could say I was surprised right? <laughs> because it is, it is a shocking claim that the NSA, for a long time known as no such agency, that's how secretive it was, 
uh, is coming out and spying on an opposition journalist. And when I say opposition journalist, by the way, we, we should assume that there's no opposition to the NSA. The NSA is supposed to be nonpartisan. And yet we know that it's not. We know that the intelligence community has served the whims of the liberal establishment. They did it in 2016. They spied on the Trump campaign on behalf of the Obama administration. They appear to be doing it now. If Tucker is to be believed, and I have no reason not to believe what he has to say, this is, as he says, third world country kind of stuff. But it shows you more and more of what we've been seeing, and it's something that I outline actually in my book Speechless, that the liberal establishment, it's not just the Democratic Party, and it's not just the administrative government, and it's not just the, the deep state as we call it, and it's not just the universities and big tech. And it's all of it. It's every institution that the left has managed to infiltrate and turn to its political ends, all while conservatives have been dithering. We've been twiddling our thumbs, and we have lost effectively all of the practical political power in this country. But didn't President Obama do the same thing to James Rosen's from Fox and then President Trump to Barbara Starr, the CNN Pentagon correspondent? The the well, the question of who did it, you know, is this Barack Obama or is this Donald Trump or is this Joe Biden? I actually think that's sort of secondary. I don't think that Joe Biden is spying on Tucker Carlson right now. I think that it is the administrative agencies. I think it's these unaccountable, <laughs> headless organizations. Uh, the, the real political power in this country more often rests with faceless bureaucrats than it does with elected politicians. Well, he, here's or the, even people in. Yeah, yeah. Here's the thing on this. So, two, one. I mean, it's beyond uh, whether it's a whether it's partisan or not. It's illegal domestic spying. And so there's a rule of law question that we and many conservatives have seemed to concede as well. Um, Everything is just forced through a partisan lens rather than, wait a second, what is the law here? You have an NSA, if if Tuck Carlson's right, and we know from previous cases this has happened as well. People people violate the law in federal government all the time. The IRS scandal, not the current one, the, the one in Joe Obama administrations one and two. Uh, and nobody gets punished. So the rule of law has been suspended. We're in the rule of men territory, which is dangerous enough. And then there's the thing, and, and it's sort of what you said at the outset. You know, I wish I could say I'm surprised. We hear conservatives say that all the time. I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. And and that's fine. You may not be surprised at the lengths the left will go to to aggrandize their power, but there are implications to that. It's like saying I'm not surprised isn't enough when you have these th- threats on this magnitude. Well, you know, the difference between a conservative optimist and conservative pessimist is the conservative pessimist says that it can't get any worse. And the conservative optimist says, oh, yes, they can. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm in the latter category here. And I think your point is absolutely right. You see people flagrantly violating the law. But it it brings up an even darker possibility, which is that laws are not made in this country the way that we were told they they are on Schoolhouse Rock. You know, I am a bill up on Capitol Hill. That's not really how the practical laws are made in this country. More often than not, they're made by people at the FDA and the various other alphabet agencies and and the NSA. I mean, there's a, there's a question here of what is real political power, and, it's, and that actually is the question that I explore in my book, Speechless. 
you know, yes, we send people to Congress, we send people to the Senate, but really the regulations, the laws, the standards, the taboos, the threats, the intimidation that now Tucker Carlson is facing from the NSA, that I think is what effectively governs the country, and that has been captured entirely by the left. Well, here's the other thing, too. I mean, I'm, I'm fond of saying, you know, you start from the wrong premises, you get the wrong conclusions. And so let's get the premises right. And uh, you write this. Conservatives have failed to thwart political correctness because they mistake it for a campaign of censorship against free speech rather than a contest between two competing standards of speech and behavior. So uh, expound on that. We, you, you seem to be suggesting we're starting from the wrong premise, so we're we're having the wrong, we're making the wrong arguments and thus we're getting the wrong outcomes. Exactly. This is actually a great example, I think, of the disparity between how, where we think power lies and where power actually lies in the country. But it's the same thing on this issue of political correctness, which we've been fighting against for 30 years now, and yet we always seem to lose ground. We never seem to gain any ground. And I think it's because conservatives have fallen for a trap. You know, we like to pretend now that cancel culture is something new. Cancel culture is, is not exactly new. It's just very different than it used to be. In the 1950s, you would be canceled for being a communist. Today, you, you can be canceled for not being a communist. Right. So you can, you can still be canceled, but the standard has very much changed. And I think we actually have a lot to learn from the left on this point, which is, you know, from the very beginning of this country, and frankly, in all regimes, some speech is permitted and some speech is not permitted. We have very broad free speech protections in this country, but things like threats, fraud, sanity, direct, fighting words, sedition, those things have always been off limits. And, you know, in some ways now we have less free speech. In some ways now I suppose we can say more things. You know, I can go on television and say every naughty word that George Carlin told me not to say but I'm not allowed to say that a man is not a woman. <laughs> that, that actually could get me to lose my job or, or be punished in schools or, or other sorts of consequences. So I think we, we need to begin by offering a substantive vision of politics. You know, Free speech in the abstract doesn't mean anything for people who have nothing to say. Well, where did political correctness come from? So political correctness is the... I think it's the strongest term for this scourge. We now call it wokeness also, mm-hmm. cancel culture. Mm-hmm. But, it, you know, uh, Donald Trump in 2016 said that political correctness is, is the greatest threat in this country. And, uh, and yet it, it goes back not just to the 90s or the 80s. Some people think it goes back to the 60s. I think it goes back further still. I think it begins at the very least in the 1920s. And I think it, it takes its, uh, its lead from a line from Karl Marx. You know, we blame Karl Marx for a lot of terrible things, but frankly, the man was responsible for a lot of terrible things. And he, he famously called for the ruthless criticism of all that exists. And his ideological heirs uh, took this lead and formulated it into something called critical theory. Now we talk, talk about the derivation of that critical race theory. Uh, you see this rise up during the new left. That this call to debunk, deconstruct, tear down the statues, that is what I think political correctness is after, a, a total destruction of the traditional standards. And because uh, nature abhors a vacuum, when those standards are abandoned, the standards of the left 
will will come into their place. And at the moment, there are the only two ways that conservatives react to political correctness are either the squishes going along with it, or or the more stalwart conservatives who basically get rid of standards altogether. But but either way, that that is going to advance the left's premise by by upending our traditional culture. Right. I mean, going back to the 22, it's not just Marx, but it's also the Frankfurt School, like Mark Hughes. But, but you know, here's the thing. I mean, just to, to fast forward in the modern context, you know, I was thinking about this when uh, I was um, looking at your book, too. I mean, I remember, uh, I think it was my senior year of college, uh, undergrad. So this is the mid-90s. Uh, number one bestseller, Politically Correct Holiday Stories by James Finn Garner which was a parody on political correctness. Uh, number one bestseller, that's 25 years ago plus. And, and you know, but pe- and people are just, w- you know, waking up to all of this cancel culture, woke, whatever term you want to use. I use new Marxism, but um, they're just way. But this is, you know, it, it was being parodied 25 years ago. So there had to be something that had taken hold in order to have a successful parody that James Finn Garner had. And, and I just see... Um, what what, uh, Shelby Steele refers to as the culture of deference. That has so crippled conservatives. We defer, defer, defer. We're going to uh, not take up this fight so that we can prepare to not take up the next one. I think that's a great description, a very sad one, but a true one. The, The line I hear so often from conservatives on these semantic battles, you know, right now I suppose my prominent one is over the pronoun. Can I call a man he, or do I have to call him she? And so many conservatives will say, oh, who cares? Yeah. Oh, it's, it's just pronouns. Who right. cares? Well, my answer to that is the left cares. The left, obviously, invest, is investing a lot of time and energy and money. Perhaps they care for a reason, and maybe we should care, too. Yeah, no, it, precisely. And so, I mean, I, I guess the, the question is then, so for those who do want to engage and take up these battles and go to a school board meeting and take on the school board over the critical race theory curriculum or what have you, um, I mean, what do you say to them? What, 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 is the, what is the way back to make what is the, what, you know, is there a way back to cultural restoration? And if there is, what, what does it look like? The parents who are showing up to these school board meetings to complain about critical race theory are maybe the sole thing that is giving me hope <laughs> that we can possibly fight back against this. And uh, you, you've had so many Republican and conservative leaders uh, just derelict their duty. But the parents are coming out and they're saying, no, forget about all your kooky theories and forget about you know the, the Republicans' priorities of just moving on to the next tax cut and, and yeah. ignoring basically every substantive issue. We are not going to allow this poison into our schools. We ought to have a say in our kids' education. This is parents who recognize that we need to be able to wield political power on the rare occasions that the people give it to us, and, and they're doing that. There's nothing illegitimate about that. I know many Republicans think that it is somehow unjust ever to use political power but, but it absolutely is not. We, we need to be willing to do that. I, I know I think conservatives basically uh, just don't want to do anything so, so when, when they are in political office. But that, that is how we've seeded the culture to the left now for decades and decades. And I think Republicans need to remember that courage is not just a virtue, but it's actually the prerequisite 
of all of the other virtues. And if we cannot say some things are true and others false, some right and others wrong, then we simply can't govern ourselves. See, this is the this is the point. I think that like it's a good one you make about conservatives, you know, being uncomfortable wielding political power. But it's because I think that conservatives, so many conservatives, self-identified conservatives are not in the business of truth. So so many have have ceded uh, the importance of truth to the importance of money. In other words, capitalism, free markets is a religion to conservatives today because it's easier. It's easier to get more people on board. You don't have to take on the water you take on to for any of these sort of cultural moral fights. And so capitalism is my church. Um, and And so it's about money. It's not about faith. So it's about the temporal. It's not about the eternal. I think you are 100% right about that. But the irony, of course, is that just even in their cynical, practical calculation, these economics-first Republicans are, are just simply wrong. Nobody wakes up in a cold sweat in the middle of the night thinking about marginal tax rates. <laughs> I like a tax cut as much as the next guy. Nobody wakes up screaming because of occupational licensing reform. These uh, economic matters, which, which are important in their place, they, they follow from the broader cultural issues. That is what motivates people. These parents of all sorts of races, of all sorts of backgrounds, are showing up to their school board not to protest over regulation. They're showing up because their kids are being fed poison about sex and race in their schools. And so I think if Republicans would dig in a little bit on these issues, they'd actually uh, probably have more electoral success as well. And, and they would have the side effect of actually accomplishing something important. He is Michael Knowles. He's a host of the Michael Knowles Show at The Daily Wire, dailywire.com. Also, pick up his new book, Speechless, Controlling Words, Controlling Minds, which we were discussing. Michael, thanks for joining us. Good luck with the book. So great to be with you both. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership programs offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend to go to Town Hall Review and sign up as well today. This is Carol Platt-Lebow for townhall.com. The Olympics have long been a source of national pride here in the United States. That's why it was so wrong of women's Olympic hammer thrower Gwen Berry to turn her back on the American flag as our national anthem was being played at the U.S. Olympic trials. Berry calls herself an activist. She protests what she calls systemic racism. Her behavior stands in stark contrast to Jesse Owens, the American athlete who competed in the 1936 Berlin Olympics. Hitler wanted to use the occasion to showcase the superiority of the so-called Aryan race. Owens, who was black, became the first American track and field athlete to win four gold medals at a single Olympic Games. But when there really was systemic racism in the U.S. in the form of Jim Crow, Owens still had the patriotism and character to salute the flag he represented. Barry could learn a thing or two from Jesse Owens. She should step down from the U.S. Olympic team. I'm Carol Platt-Lebow. The Pepperdine School of Public Policy, America's unique graduate program for leaders. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu.